Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by Einblick Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. Okay, folks, welcome to this episode of B2B Marketers on a Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I am joined by someone on a mission to help B2B companies double down on content marketing to grow awareness, influence, and leads. So Ali Schwanke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be connected, Ali, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because as you rightfully pointed out in your LinkedIn profile, content marketing is so important to B2B companies for a whole lot of reasons that we're going to get into in a sec. All right. so. Ali, you've been a successful B2B marketer for many years, and you're an expert in content as well as HubSpot CRM marketing. But for this conversation, let's focus on the topic of strategies to grow any B2B content platform from scratch, which is no small feat. So talk to us. Yeah. So talk to us why you believe that's so important in the world of B2B marketing. Off you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, today we all believe in being empowered to buy and nobody hopes to be sold to you and I included our customers included. So when we go to find a solution to our problem or even an aspiration of something we hope to do, we educate ourselves and we only educate ourselves with content. So whether that's written content, video content, podcasting, like we're doing right now, social content, we, every single piece of information that we bring in helps us understand our problem more effectively and then ultimately leads us you know, toward the path of a solution. And because that's such a pleasurable experience for a lot of companies, at the end, when you buy, you end up feeling like you, you bought it, you weren't sold to. And that's really what we're all after. So uh, where that comes ahead for me is we've been growing that way as a company since we started. And we believe that content's how people want to engage with us. So we've been growing a podcast or excuse me, a YouTube channel since about 2019, mid 2019. And um, right before the pandemic, and we kind of just lucked out that everybody obviously had to go online at that time. And, you know, ever since then, we've sort of been known as the folks that teach HubSpot tutorials online. And then we've been helping other folks launch their podcasts and video mediums as a result of that as well. Fantastic. And just for the benefit of the audience, uh, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Yeah, our YouTube channel is called HubSpot Hacks. HubSpot Hacks. That's an easy one to remember. Exactly. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, I just wanted to go back to something you said earlier, and you're talking about the different types of content. And you probably know where I'm going with this, but do you feel that any of these forms are more important than the other? I think people wish I had an answer for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think okay. they wish that one of those things could be something they could focus on. And really, when when people ask that, they often, it's because they're overwhelmed by the, let's call it, need to have to create multiple forms of content. And so if you're not doing a really great job today of using content to nurture your customers along their journey, the idea of writing blogs and then doing webinars and then doing video and then doing podcasting, that all sounds really, really overwhelming. But usually what you can do first before you start doing anything is identify what's going well in this space. Who's doing blogging? What is their angle? How are they doing it? Who's doing video? What are they doing? How are they handling it? And you'll start to see some trends emerge. And that means that just like any football team, soccer team, baseball team, you're going to have different resources and different strategies based on who you're playing, who the players are on your team, what your talents are. Um, Are you playing the short game, the long game? And all of that's going to be important in coming up with the content strategy. So if you happen to have someone on your team who has a background in broadcast journalism, you probably are going to have an easier time deploying video and and podcasting or audio than you might be doing written content. So think about the resources you have internally. Our team happened to have some background in video. And myself, I happen to have done a lot of that in my career. 
So launching a YouTube channel seemed like a natural step for us. Now, people have told us, Allie, you make it look so easy. And I'll say, well, what you don't see is you don't see the years and years that I spent doing, you know, plays and and drama and all the things that I learned a lot of those acting lessons in my early days. So when you get started with content and people think, what channel should I start with? One, you have to be where your audience is. So if you're going to launch a, let's say a, a very active, ask me anything, Reddit thread, that's a piece of content, that's a type of content. If your users aren't on Reddit or your customers aren't on Reddit, that's a terrible idea. But if you say, how do my users go to YouTube and search for things? Usually it's how-to content is typically what performs quite well on YouTube. What will they be looking for on YouTube? And then do we need a hosted show? Do we do a interview show? Do we do like how you do the content then becomes specific based on what gaps exist in the market. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach. What are you really good at in creating content? If you can write well, start there. If you then analyze the market and come back to it and say, I think there's a need for this. Like right now, I'll tell you, we're launching a podcast that's very, very short form because there is very, there's very little competition for podcasts that are 10 minutes or less. Yeah, those are really interesting points. And thanks for sharing that. You brought up two things that I wanted to go back to in the past couple of minutes. So one about like uh, making it look so effortless. It, It almost... I think one of the greatest analogies for that is uh, just thinking about somebody like Lang Lang, who's a world famous pianist, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen him in concert and you've ever seen Lang Lang play, he can play pieces by Chopin, which I think uh, undoubtedly are some of the most difficult mm-hmm. um, piano pieces to play. And he can play those with his eyes closed. Right. Certainly. Do you and, play the piano, Christian? No, I don't. Well, I, I, did don't? Okay. When I, I, I did when I was in first and second grade, but and that's so about, like, that's I, about I, yeah sorry. i do play the piano yeah oh, do. i do play the piano myself and i right. can play with my eyes closed and i can play with all i can listen to a song on the radio and just play it but yes, that's but hours and hours and hours and hours that was exactly the point i was just getting to because people were saying like how does he make it look so easy and so mm-hmm. effortless and what they don't see and this is something that he said in an interview is that he he practices six to eight hours a day mm-hmm Right. So they don't see the blood, sweat and tears and the effort that he puts behind looking so effortless on stage. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing, which I thought was such a great point to bring up, is also that you're creating content um, that addresses the problems that the target audience has. But also it's it's structured in such a way that it helps or it's designed to um, take into consideration how your best customers buy. Right. And I, and I thought those are really like two things that you said in the past couple of minutes where I'm like, okay, that, that, that bears repeating that bears talking about again. Right. Yeah. I think that a lot of times we forget that customers may have things that they're wondering about that they feel actually scared to talk to us about because by admitting that they don't know what something means. So how many times have we been in a situation, even in a sales conversation, where we have used an acronym and we just assume the other person knows what it means. And if they just stop and raise their hand and say, I don't know what that means, they risk looking stupid. They risk looking like that they're not gonna have that same level of professionalism. So when you create content around these kind of lesser known things, you can also then empower them to come to the table and and have a better sense of understanding as to what they're buying, how it's helping them solve that problem. I'll give you an example. So when you're in the world of CRMs, which which we are, sometimes if you go to the HubSpot's website, for example, there's starter, there's free, there's pro, there's enterprise, and then there's marketing hub, sales hub, operations hub, CMS hub, you know, service hub. And so it becomes this like, wait a minute, is a CRM the same thing as all these things? But if I ask Ali, if the CRM is the same thing as a service hub, is that dumb? Do I look stupid? So we literally have a blog post called what is HubSpot and what can I do with it? Because that is what people are searching and they don't want to get on a sales call and have the risk of them being sold something that they don't understand, but they would never jump on a sales call and say, now, Ali, can you tell me what HubSpot is? Because they're afraid that that opens then the vulnerability and that content therefore helps them feel more secure in that conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I, 
And I thought it was so good that you brought that up because that's such a great segue into the next question, which awesome. focuses on um, mistakes and misconceptions that you've seen out there. But let's uh, let's zero in again on that on our uh, topic of discussion for today, which is growing B2B content platform. So specifically, mistakes and misconceptions you've seen out there around this topic and what you believe should be done to address those. Yeah, a couple of mistakes that I see people making when they're starting content from scratch is their understanding of what it takes to build consistency is often, it's just like anything that's new. It Once that pizzazz and the flash kind of fades away, it, it becomes more of a grind. And it's true. And so anything new, there's this, I, I wish I knew who made it and I knew I should knew the name of it, but it's this kind of diagram where you see this like really great heightened thing. And then it goes down to like the trough of despair. <laughs> and when you get into the trough of despair and you need to create getting content, you often hear that people will say, well, it isn't, it isn't working or it's, um, you know, we need to switch direction and I can pull up our YouTube channel. I can pull up our blog and every single time I can show you where we had a conversation of, should we keep doing this? And we knew like when you're in it for the long haul, like if you ever run a marathon, if you ever get to mile 20, ever in a marathon, I'll tell you at mile 20, you're like better. It's a good thing that there is a finish line up ahead. <laughs> Otherwise we would be bailing out right now. And that's what happens in content creation. So there has to be an, like a minimum investment into the time for you to even get something from it. Now, the other mistake that I also see people making is they write a lot of content that is in the voices and the words and the terms of them, but it's not how the customer talks. So again, back to that, what is HubSpot and what can I do with it? If I was going to write that in a very like marketing-y way, it would be like, discover more about the marketing automation platform that's the number one choice of something, something or other. Like at that point, marketing automation doesn't even really mean anything to the audience because they're just like, I heard about this HubSpot thing. I don't really know what it is. So the way to overcome that is to talk to your customers and really just listen. So discovery calls for me are wonderful because I can just say, hey, what brought you here today? And you know, what were you looking for online? Good questions to ask might be, you know, what's the last thing you typed into Google? And you start to understand their frame of reference and the paradigm that they're coming to the table with. And if you don't understand that paradigm and that empathy from their point of view, you will you will fail with your content initiatives. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like you got to get into their um, into their mind and, and see their thought process, right? Like, mm -hmm. what are they looking for? What are they looking for online? What kind of information are they searching for? But even going back a step, uh, you know, a, a step backwards, what questions are they asking, right? Because it all starts mm -hmm. with questions, correct? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I love how you how you brought that up. Um, that that first point about consistency and it becoming a grind. That almost reminds me of a diagram. I'm sure you've seen it more times than you care to count. It's the diagram of the entrepreneur's journey. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the, the way the outside world perceives it and the way that, you know, and, and then the, the other diagram shows what an entrepreneur actually goes through. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it looks like the Mariana Trench almost, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, there has to be some sort of stamina there. And mm. that is, again, I think it's one of those things that if you, like one of the shows that I used to watch and, and enjoy the journey in the back and back in the day was The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. So you loved watching these people kind of go through this transformation, but there was a lot of content behind the scenes that I'm, I guarantee never got aired because it was just boring. It was just boring. They were just doing the same workout, the same thing. And a mentor once told me that success often is misguided because in the middle of it, it looks like it, it it's just boring. Like success when you consistently execute is just boring. Well, there she goes again, <laughs> doing the same thing. But then three months later, they all want to talk to you about like, well, what did you do? What did you do to get here? And you're like, did you not see me every single day publishing on LinkedIn? That's how I got here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to the point you brought up earlier about playing the piano, um, I'm a, I'm a drawer, a sketcher. Oh, okay. And it, and it was something, it was an, an, a hobby I had uh, for many, many years and, you know, throughout high school and whatnot. And then I stopped, right? But then I took it up again during the pandemic, right? But then I had to relearn how to draw. Mm -hmm. And then I do post on Instagram and Facebook and what have you, but I, I started by posting the finished product. But now what I've started to do is to post the process so people can see how much work goes behind such a detailed drawing. And it's hours and hours of, of tinkering away and using different, different types of pencils, you know, they're darker and lighter and so forth. So they can 
that people can understand how much effort goes into uh, coming up with with one piece of of artwork. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I I think yeah. people are in they're intrigued at how something comes together, and they do. Yeah, you gain a lot more respect for the craft when yes. you can see it in that way. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. On to the next question, and I'm pretty sure you'll have no problem answering this. So what roles do you believe research and having the right strategy have in growing your B2B content platform? Because it's not exactly like you'll just press submit or go and then boom, there you have it. You have your content platform with your community of followers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really there's, so there's kind of two sides of this and it's kind of like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And so I will say that some people swing their pendulum over to, to the strategy and planning side. And you can get stuck over there simply planning and strategizing your life away and never actually publish any content. And that it's a good practice to do your due diligence because you do have to make sure you have a purpose for your content. Um, however, if you swing the other way, you end up maybe creating something that either your audience does not care for it, it's on the wrong platform, um, you're not even really well equipped to understand what goes into it. So I will say when you when you look at what your goals are, and I'm going to give you a couple of different types of goals. Sometimes your goal when you're first starting a content initiative is to learn how to do it. So if you're podcasting for the first time and you're simply learning how to put together a good episode, a good strategy would be go listen to some episodes from people and companies that you like, try to model yours after theirs, and then just see if you have a good episode. In that case, the product, what you're after is a good episode. You should not correlate that with, I want to have a thousand followers. Because <laughs> followers come when you actually create content that they want to hear in the way that they want to hear it and you know create episodic type of things. So when it comes to creating content, the single biggest thing that often gets missed is, why are you creating this show? Who is it for? And what do they want to hear or learn about? Because at the end of the day, if you don't answer those questions, you might really just want to talk into a microphone. And that's okay. If you just want to talk into a microphone and interview friends <laughs> and build relationships, that's fine. That is totally fine. But you typically don't build an audience without having that really clear picture. And then someone said this on a podcast I was listening to yesterday. They said, when someone subscribes, they subscribe to your content with the intent to get more of what they just heard. So if you all of a sudden get the idea to veer off because you're interested in something else, you then violate your listeners because they expected this from you and now they've gotten that. So that's you have to pick something that you can talk about exhaustively and not get bored because if you get bored, your listeners will get bored. 100% agree. And uh, you know, back to uh, your earlier point, I think it's so important for people to understand, you know, people like uh, who are starting out with podcasts or launching them. I'm going to use the French term, but like, what's your raison d'être? Right. Like, I like that what? term. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I cannot say that. That was good. Sorry. I just, uh, I just had to sound a little bit fancy, but like, you know, uh, <laughs> but, but long story short, what's the reason for being, and that's back to what you were mm -hmm. saying, right? Like what, why are you launching this? Is it to become famous or is it because you're, you're genuinely trying to solve, and this is to the topic of the conversation today, are you genuinely trying to solve a problem that your target audience is facing with this content, right? And and, and back to the ideal listeners, because not everybody's going to listen to the podcast, right? Like the people that subscribe to your YouTube channel, I mean, if they're not on HubSpot, then why would they even go there, right? Yeah, we. that's one of the things we did find. So, mm -hmm. in, for example, when we did our research into yeah. our channel planning, we identified that the folks that were doing some of the videos that we thought we could do online were filled with a lot of topical, we'll call them offshoots. And so you found that listeners would appreciate, or in this case, like viewers would appreciate content for a while. And then they would find that all of a sudden they're doing an interview with someone over here that just kind of seemed a little bit off. So, you know, imagine watching college game day and suddenly one Saturday they cover a hockey game and not a football game. Like that would just like ESPN would never let that happen because it's college game day, it's football. But that is that is what you do to your listeners and your viewers when you veer off topic because it's interesting to you, but it's not relevant to what they you know signed up to get from you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I I'm going to throw in an additional question there, Ali. Because you know this is, this is on the topic of growing your B2B content platforms. And we all know 
that one of the it's not the only thing obviously but one of the important aspects of successfully growing your content platform is to keep your content fresh right and i know that sounds pretty broad and generic but let's narrow it down like you know from your own experience and your perspective how do you do that how do you like to, to what you said earlier how do you keep your content from getting boring and dry and like oh we've you know we've seen all this before you know going on linkedin and like okay it's the, it's a post about this topic again how do you avoid that you know, falling into that trap let's put it that way yeah i mean i think if we could reframe this it's really like where do really mm -hmm. good content ideas come from yeah. and i know people ask me this a lot because i'm always it's kind of like this muscle that the more you exercise it, the better it gets. So if you think you don't have a lot of good ideas, it's probably because you haven't gotten through your really bad ideas first. <laughs> really, like there was a copywriter that I was following online and he did this experiment. I wish I could think of his name right now. If I think of it, I'll, I'll send it to you to put in the show notes. But he did this experiment where he wrote 100 headlines every single day for like I don't know, 25 days or something. And what I thought was fascinating about this, because this is kind of the mantra that I also, uh, you know, have as well as I have these files and files of Evernotes, um, which is a software where I just keep ideas. And I have one Evernote called ideas from the treadmill. And literally when I'm running, if something pops in my brain, I just throw it on my phone. Sometimes later, I'm like, where did that come from? Like, what was I thinking? But indefinitely, it's like Jerry Seinfeld would do that when he was thinking about jokes. You know, Ellen DeGeneres has talked about that's the way she generates ideas. But this copywriter was talking about the fact that you get through your first, I will say 25, 30% of your headlines. And those headlines are all kind of like, oh, you think you're doing a good job. And then you, you start to just suck a lot. <laughs> so in the middle, they start to get really terrible. And then you kind of overcome what we'd call like the cliche, you know, this is like duh sort of content. And then once you work through that, then you start to really make your brain go in different directions and you come out with these really different ideas, but you have to work that muscle and a hundred headlines. If the headlines, what gets people to read the article, you should spend more of your time on the headline than you should on the article. So I think that when it comes to content ideas, I spend a lot of time studying, like I'll go through LinkedIn one day and I'll write down all the headlines that were in my feed and I'll just run them down and, and then I'll study them. What did they all have in common? What were they different? How could I emulate some of these? Um, I'll do the same thing with TikToks. What kind of TikToks came up on my feed today? Same thing with YouTube shorts. I spent way too much time two nights ago. <laughs> I was going to be on there for a couple minutes and I was studying shorts. What's the format of them? What was the, the lead in that they, they used? Did they have some sort of like virality to them? Studying other people's content is really a great way to do that. And then what I like to tell people to do is come up with what you have as like a playbook. So for our playbook, a couple of things that we do, one is product releases. So if there's a product release on the HubSpot platform, that's a good thing for us to talk about. Another one is going into uh, Reddit. What are people talking about on Reddit? Are there questions on Reddit that we can answer? Another one is the HubSpot community. People are asking questions on the HubSpot community. Can we answer questions there? And so really you just start to have all these plays you can run. And that's ultimately, you do that enough, you will never run out of content ideas then it becomes about prioritization of the ideas and which ones are you know most impactful. Just give me a second here to digest all of that. <laughs> Let me catch up, right? I'll just share with wow. you my Evernote folder. It's fine. No, I, I I appreciate that. No, just I, I'm sorry. I've just been furiously taking notes here, and I hope the uh, the listeners out there are doing the same thing because no, thank thanks so much for that. Those are really um those are really some interesting points and uh, highly relevant. Yeah, absolutely, you should um. Focus on the platforms where your, you know, where your customers are looking for content, looking for information. And I think that was your point too, right? It's not, it's not that everybody should go to TikTok right now. If, if your audience isn't hanging out on TikTok, then you probably shouldn't look there, right? Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, Book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. Now, you've talked about it already a little bit, but break it down for us. Just think of this like a Lego set, and then you're just taking it apart again, mm -hmm. right, before putting it back together. So tell us about the different components that you feel are required to effectively grow your B2B content platforms. 
Yeah. So really you have to think about what your purpose of the content is. And I'll say in most cases, B2B content is going to serve as both awareness and lead generation content. And by awareness, that could be both brand awareness as well as, well, I'll use the word and I'll define it here in a second, but thought leadership, which thought leadership is attributing specific ideas to your company as a leader in that industry. So for example, you know, Simple Strat, my company's thought leadership is attributed to us being experts in HubSpot, which therefore means we understand how to drive revenue with your CRM, so on and so forth. And our channel's a, a um, example of that. And then obviously this podcast, as we talk about that, is an example of that too. But your components as you're building out this, this content um, journey is really you have to start with that awareness funnel and all the questions people would ask at every stage of their buying journey. So to make it super simple, stupid, at the awareness phase, they have a problem and they sometimes don't know what the problem really even is. So if someone in our case might end up needing help with their HubSpot CRM, they might think that they need a better salesperson. So they don't even think that they're tracking the right stuff in the in the system. They're just like, I just probably need two salespeople instead of one. And it might turn out that that one salesperson actually is terrible and they don't have a way to report on that because the reporting in their CRM is terrible, right? So we could help them with that. So there's problem. And then there's awareness once they become aware of those things. And so that, it, that, that, um, we call it consideration content. So consideration content is going to be that middle of the funnel where they've identified a direction they want to go. Now they need to figure out what is the best way in, in which to solve this problem. So I could maybe either hire a sales consultant. I could, you know, upgrade my CRM for better automation functionality. Those are two options. And then that, what we call decision-making, um, content, which is usually things like, you're going to have, we call them bottom of the funnel, but you're going to have case studies. You're going to have um, testimonials. You're going to have how-to videos of like what to do on your platform, very product specific stuff. Because at that point, whether you're a service provider or you happen to be a software, you're going to be deciding that like, should I move forward with this software or this service or not? Sometimes the, or not is actually your biggest competitor. The, or not is like, that's too much work. I'm just not going to do anything. Like you're sometimes competing against nothing. Seriously, nothing. And then post-sale, a lot of companies have a huge opportunity to do much better onboarding and customer advocacy content, which would be things like, like Ahrefs is an excellent, excellent example of this content across the full spectrum of their funnel because they've got how-to content all the way down to how to get the most out of their software. And every single one of their videos is well-branded. It's highly understandable regardless of your use of the product or not. Super great on-brand in terms of like, production and inconsistency. And then you just feel like they care about you when you, when you use their product. So all those four pieces are going to be part of the program. If you're just starting, you're probably going to start with content as close to the bottom of the funnel as possible, because if you don't have case studies that show your relevancy to someone who's trying to make a decision, don't spend your time on the top of the funnel. Cause they're, they're going to leak out of your bucket down at the bottom before they actually get to a sale. No, that's fantastic. No, thanks for sharing that. No, I, I, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, at least from what I've seen, many marketers get carried away with uh, trying to do everything, mm-hmm. kind of like that that movie that just won the Oscars, right? Everything and everywhere all at once, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's actually an excellent, like, that's the content strategy do not do is according to the Oscars. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Thanks, Michelle Yo. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ali. So this show is also about actionable tips so give us something actionable here and let's uh step back for a second and appreciate that you can't do all of this in 24 hours mm-hmm. but if somebody were listening to the conversation that i'm having with you today what are probably the three to five things that you would want them to do right now to improve how they're growing their b2b content platforms yeah well i'm gonna take you a step back to strategy first, and then we'll talk action mm-hmm. because really it depends on which direction you're going. So really there's there's really two kinds of content that exist for B2B companies. And we should have covered this earlier, but we'll go here. So first one's going to be search driven. Um, they know exactly what words to type into Google to solve whatever problem that they have. And that's going to warrant something you know down the line for you. And a lot of times we talk, talk about this being capturing demand. So you're capturing the fact that someone has a search about this and they're winding up on your website in some way, shape or form. And then we have creating demand, 
which is much more about education, agitation of the market, shaking them up to realize they do have a problem or they that there is a better way to do this. So depending on which one of those you do, you're going to have to deploy different tactics. So actionable wise, if you happen to be deploying the, I'm going to capture them online, you're going to want to make sure you understand and go make a list of all of the different types of searches that would be in someone's Google search, for example, that would you should be creating content about. And some people say, well, I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure which ones to write about. Start with simply the ones that you already know are being asked in the sales process. So again, back to the example we knew, we knew people were asking what is HubSpot and what can I do with it based on both search data from something like SEMrush. If you use SEMrush or, or Ahrefs, that will give you that. Um, Uber Suggest is another good tool that can give you that as well. Um, and then secondly, on top of that, if you're going to capture demand, you need to interview your customers. So again, go back to them, ask them questions like, if you were to type something into Google to find the type of problem we solve, what would you type into Google? And that question's really interesting because you'll often get things that people will say and you'll be like, huh, I never thought of it that way because their paradigm is so much different than yours. Now, if you're capturing demand, you're gonna have to think about how to make this interesting, entertaining, and relevant to me when I already am not looking for it. So this is where studying some of the ways that your competition is capturing attention. I'm not saying go copy that, but definitely understand what the competition's doing first before you do anything else. And then you have to establish a unique point of view. Otherwise, capturing demand will just look like a me too exercise. So if you're capturing demand, for instance, if you now create a channel with HubSpot tutorials, yeah, that's a good measure, but there's a lot of people doing that now. It's like, we've been doing that for three years. There's other people jumping on the boat. If you created, I don't know, a TikTok channel that had short, pithy things about a CRM and was humorous, that might be interesting, okay? So you got to think about how to capture that attention and then also make it so that they pay attention and not just well, that's cute. And then I just kind of move on. So you have to pick a direction, either capture con or capture um, demand or create demand. And then out of that, that's going to determine your next steps. Um, and if you've, again, have nowhere else to start, talk to your customers and make sure you have content that answers their top questions. Absolutely. No, thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier, and it's not because I want to play devil's advocate. It's just <laughs> out of curiosity. Yeah. Right. Because I, while I agree with you, like establish a unique point of view, you know, you know as well as I do how often that gets misinterpreted, right? Because mm -hmm. there's folks out there that think that having a unique point of view means like saying something controversial that'll piss everybody off. Sure. Right? And I'm pretty sure that's not what you meant, right? So please elaborate. <laughs> yeah, this I do think that I mean, given some of the political climate and things like that, people may be this disposition to think that that's the way that's interpreted. Right. However, the point of view is. If you think about your values as a company and you think about the problems that your product or your service solves, there is going to be a reason why that exists. So it is the way I have people back up and think about this is there are things that you fundamentally do and say over and over again in your company. And if you took time to write them down and say, why do we say this? Where did this come from? What is the origin story of this belief? Or what are some origin stories? And then when I talk about these things, what do I want people to feel and do as a result of these stories? So to wrap that all together, I'll give you an example. I believe that marketing can be both short-term and long-term, but there is a strategic investment over the long-term in order for you to be successful. And where that story came from is I have worked with far too many entrepreneurs who have given up on their marketing strategy and tactics right before the breakthrough point. And so all of the efforts that have been put into this are typically abandoned in light of new strategies. And I now am sitting in front of you as a person running a channel for about two and a half, almost three years that has achieved a level of lead generation and visibility that most companies wish for because we chose to play the long game. So that is one of the, the point of views that we have now. We also believe that we're testing out YouTube shorts now because we need to test out these short-term strategies while we demonstrate the long-term. So that's a point of view that, again, like makes sense for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It may not be very timely or 
pertinent for me to use this comparison, but it's almost like <laughs> investing in stocks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't cash out after three months. I mean, it's uh, you have to you have to be in it for the long run. I, again, uh, let's appreciate that it depends on what kind of <laughs> stock we're talking about, right? Yeah, and I'll, I'll probably just stop there because <laughs> just get into trouble. Yeah, we'll have um, a disclaimer at the end of this episode, just in case. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Ali, you you brought it. Uh, you brought this one up earlier, but like, I, I just wanted you to like talk about an example to highlight how you grew your own content platforms and just walk us through that process, if you if you can, about what you did and uh, what worked, what didn't work, and what the results were. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of examples when we first started our channel mm-hmm. and our blog. And that was back to that creating discipline around things. Um, yes. When we first launched our YouTube channel, it wasn't a separate channel. It was a hypothesis and it was a, we already had some clients asking us for videos that would help them do some common things in HubSpot. And at the time, Loom was a fairly new Chrome plugin. I knew that we were using it to just create these short videos to send them to clients. And we thought, one of the gaps again that we identified in, so we let's take a step back. So we looked at all of the YouTube content out there related to HubSpot. And one of the things again, we noticed was people were having less and less tolerance for the long, like, here's my life story. Kind of the way we all complain about recipe blogs where they talk about their life story. And I'm just like, I want the recipe, just give me the recipe. That is that, you know, that happens on YouTube too, where they talk Doesn't about that their life dri- story. Sorry to jump in. Doesn't that drive you nuts? Like that yeah. happens every time I look up some recipe and they talk about what they like to do. And I'm like, well, where's the recipe? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's funny though, it's like a sidetrack, but is, um, I follow a, a gal on Instagram called of yeah. batter and dough and like yes. her Instagram is amazing. Yeah. I will read all of her stories because I've mm. become bought into her story, but I didn't stumble upon her recipe first. I stumbled upon her Instagram first. So, but I still don't read, I don't, I don't read the whole story on her website. Unfortunately, uh, right. I read it just on Instagram and then I'm like, I can't make bread. Like I, tr- I tried her bread <laughs> recipe and I was, it was terrible. It was basically like, fun. it was like pita bread. <laughs> it's no small feat, but, but I, I, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. Please continue. No, yeah. but I think, I think that what we discovered when we were studying that is, you know, hi, my name is Ali and I'm going to talk to you today about all the things. If you study the reason why people stay engaged with content is they open their videos with a promise of what's coming and it's not about them and you get into it right away. So we identified that as the opportunity. So we thought, what if we just made better versions of these how-to videos and just instead of blabbering on for three minutes, we just go, hey, do you want to know how to hook up your HubSpot inbox to your Gmail? Let's dive in. And we that was it. That was the genesis of the whole idea. So we created some looms, we put them online and added some intros and whatever to them. And we amassed some views from that. So we use that short, like little bit of data to then say, okay, what would be the result if we put this on its own channel and create an audience around it? So we had these kind of small bets that we put into the mix before we took the big leap into it, which I think is a really important next step. Now, if you're thinking about this in terms of like a podcast, you can't take a leap into it and say, I wonder if I can get a couple of listeners. Okay, podcast discovery is much harder (laughs) and there's a lot of them. So that's not necessarily a good way to do that. But I think like, I'll give you an example. Right now I'm launching a podcast as well. I had a tweet that I sent out and I said, I'm launching a podcast. I've got an eight minute episode. I'd love for anyone to listen to it. Give me some feedback. I had 90 replies on that tweet of people that were willing to give me feedback. I did not send 90 DMs, but I did send about 20 DMs and I had probably 10 people listen, provide feedback, good or bad. And now I've got this interesting feedback to kind of build with my community in public. So again, back to that, like when you first start, analyze, make a small bet. And then what we did is we created the first initial pieces of content based on what we knew would be searchable headlines. So some of the most common problems that people have that are new users, we looked for like a high level of search volume and we created those those pieces of content. You can't analyze the performance of your content until you have a minimum viable amount of content. So I think, again, people think they want to go back and analyze their performance. Okay, you can't analyze the performance when you got four videos and they've been up for four weeks. That's just not possible. It's like weighing yourself on a diet on day two. Like water weight, you know, woohoo. 
but like you're going to go ahead and eat lunch and you're going to be back to where you started. Right. So when you're analyzing for us, we had to get to that six month mark. And at the six month mark, our growth line still looked like a person that was dead. Like it was not going anywhere. (laughs) Flat line. But once we got to this inflection point, we said, we have six months of data. Let's really dig in. And we started doing analyzation of like, how many subscribers did we get? Where did they come from? What were the search terms? We reverse engineered all of that and said, you know what? We found three key insights that drove our content calendar for the next six months. And that then started to build a compound effect as we created more content. So it's, it's so much like everything else in life where the more you do it and the more you study it, the more you learn and it has to be an iterative process. And then ultimately, like we learned, you know, shorts and snippets and social pieces and whatever, but that's really the the genesis of how it all kind of came together. Amazing, amazing story. And I think uh, with sharing that experience with uh, with the audience, you've also answered the question about quality versus quantity, which is, I think, mm-hmm. a question that everybody in content marketing asks themselves or gets asked. And I think you just answered it, right? It's uh, it's something that happens progressively over time. You don't, you know, you don't start with quality. Like I, I certainly didn't. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind based on platforms. So I will yeah. say, written content quality means you have to have an intro that captures me. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the article doesn't matter. And there has to be something I learn that either inspires me, motivates me, or causes me to think differently. If you don't achieve that in a written piece of content. You then get to the end. So think about these pieces where it's like 10 things you didn't know about X, Y, Z. If you read the article and go, I knew all of that. Like you've, you've let the reader down, you know? So you have to have something that delivers on its promise. Podcasting, you have to be able to get rid of things like vocal tics. You have to really listen to your vocal inflection, your tonality. Those things matter on a podcast. If you're not really good at that now, Toastmasters, public speaking lessons, those are all going to be important, but you can speak eloquently if you don't talk about something that people are interested in. Who cares? Who cares how eloquent you speak if, you're, if your strategy is not right? On video, again, same sort of thing. If you're not watching your videos over, like, I don't know if you do this, Christian, but I've, I've talked to a lot of people that they have a podcast or they've been on video and they never watch or listen to themselves. I'm telling you, if you have any sort of content, if you write it, you need to read it. If you record it, you need to listen to it. If you record it, you need to watch it. Like you have to analyze your own performance. 100% agree. And uh, yeah, to answer your question, yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> I do watch my own videos and I do listen back to myself. And every now and then I'm like, oh, did I really say that? <laughs> that's. I mean, that's yeah. a necessary evil. I think we're afraid yeah. of what we sound and listen like. Or and, and look like, and I tell people every day, this is terrible to say it this way, but like, mm-hmm. I look at you and I listen to you. So mm-hmm. at the whole world is experiencing something that you think yes. is not worth listening or watching. I, don't, I find that hard to believe. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, it was something also that I had to struggle to like unlearn, for example, because you know, it's human nature, right? These, these pauses where, or, or these gap fillers, you know, like, like, oh, what I just did, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> or the ahs and mm's and, and mm-hmm. I tried doing that, like with a friend of mine, who's a, you know, he's, she's a public speaking coach, right, for example, and I asked her, like, you know, Tina, give me some tips, like, how can I get rid of this? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, it's human nature, you can't really 100% get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But what you can probably do instead of saying, ah, or, you know, is just take a breath. Take a breath and keep your mouth open without any sound coming out. And as awkward <laughs> as that looks. <laughs> I'm going to tell my kids that too. Yeah. But try, but try getting people to do that. Right. And you know, you and I, we, we, we've been doing this. We've been running our own podcasts for a certain period of time and I still catch myself doing it. Right. <laughs> it's because we're all on zoom every day. It mm-hmm. becomes something that we're accustomed to since in our calls, they're not performances. Yes. So when you are on a performance, it is a little bit more difficult to remember that, but re- repetition and, and review and every single athlete that I've ever watched or, mm-hmm. or read their documentary yeah. or watch a documentary is they watch themselves compete. They see themselves in game performance. That has to be the way we think about ourselves as content creators. Mm-hmm. If you're not the creator, 
if you're the strategist and you have a team of creators, then it's up to you to be the coach of that team as well. So identify that if that's your executive, they're probably going to have a little bit of an ego and that your ability to help them realize their shortcomings and how that comes across to their customers. That's a topic for a whole other episode. Oh yeah. Part two coming soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Metrics, love it or hate it, right? Which metrics would you recommend marketers should be paying attention to if they're trying to grow their B2B content platforms? Good question. There's going to be metrics at each level or each stage of the journey. And ultimately, most marketing programs that are driven by content will have some sort of lead generation metric. So if you are utilizing webinars, for example, as one of your content deliverables, you will want registrants. Um, If you are using blogs and they are search-driven, you want keyword rankings and you want search traffic. If you are using YouTube, you want views and conversions from YouTube over on some sort of lead generating content. So I do think that I gave a talk once at a conference called Metrics That Matter. And what we don't want is we don't want vanity metrics. But usually the way I tell people to do metrics is think about your dashboard as like just all the things in your car. So when you're looking at YouTube, you want all the subscribers, you want the level of engagement, you want your average click-through rate, your average view duration. Those are very important for the algorithm. On your blog, you want click-through rate, you want um, keyword ranking, you want time on page, all those things are important. You then analyze that on a monthly basis and you do a couple things. So pretend that your executive only has five minutes to read your analytics report. What are the three driving metrics that matter? Here's a link to the whole dashboard. And then here are three insights from that. And then here are three things we need to do as a result of those insights. So if you think about that, again, that's kind of the way that we, it it functions when we go to the doctor. Here's your blood report. Here's what you should do, what you shouldn't do. You're great, you're not, whatever. That's how we interpret that data. Otherwise you can get buried in metrics and then you actually get in weeds that don't really drive anything. And instead they just, they look fancy. But if you got five more subscribers this month than last month, eh, it's not really a big deal. And it might, <laughs> you might find that it's accidental and you have no idea how you got those additional, you know, leads or, or drivers. Yeah. 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 No, you know what? That's such a great answer. And I'll tell you why <clears throat> keeping it short and simple, especially mm-hmm. for senior members of management, because we've all been in those meetings where it's like, Oh no, this, <laughs> has, gone, this has gone on for far too long. This meeting. And, and the report is way too long and we're losing them at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And to your point, I've seen this happen a couple of times where marketers are throwing all this data out there, but they actually sometimes don't know how to interpret the data properly mm-hmm. or they don't prepare or they don't anticipate the question from the board, which tends to be, so what's the point? So mm-hmm. what, what, what are you trying to get at here, right? Yep. So how do we solve? Okay, so we we know that they're, we, we see this data, we see this chart, we know that there's a problem, but how do we solve it? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Best practice in understanding metrics is, do you, are there, are there benchmarks, mm-hmm. both your benchmarks as well as industry benchmarks? And if you have been tracking data for three months, that becomes your three month benchmark. So your job as a marketer, your job as a content marketer is to help and everybody make sense of the, what seems like crazy data. And I will tell you the minute you show a chart, that's got any sort of down arrow and any red anywhere, regardless of how amazing your metrics look, that little teeny box with the red in it will just draw everyone's freaking eye to that box, <laughs> which is why it's numbers and stats are so important to figure out what is your comparable? Because if you're comparing time period over time period, and you had some sort of like complete anomaly like COVID, okay, that isn't actually a measurable year. Like we had a really weird digital year that year because nobody went outside. So making sense of the of the numbers in light of the context is what your job is. And then to, to your point, anticipate the questions so that you address them before they even think about them. And they they know that you are actually ahead of all of that. And they're not going to try and catch you off guard. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're getting to the end of the show, but I've got two more questions for you. All right. Get up on your soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> the status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with and why? 
mean, there's a lot of conversation right now around AI and I'll, I'll kind of go there because the, I think anytime something's new and unknown, there's both a anticipation of, of amazement. And there's also this fear of replacement. And anytime you go from the current known to the unknown, regardless how amazing it is, there's this kind of treacherous journey. And what I disagree with is the idea that, again, we're all going to be replaced by AI. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the things we do are going to be replaced with, with AI. But I think the thing that I lean into super hard, I just tweeted this this morning, is because we're going to start to see human voices powered by AI, human faces and avatars powered by AI, what yeah. I think it makes a wonderful opportunity for you and I and content creators is go create content that is just so human that you can't help but watch and engage with it. Right. So if we did this podcast while we were walking, mm-hmm. that would be different Fantastic. because you can't do that, right? Yep. You know, can I somehow have back to like um, Jerry Seinfeld did his comedians in cars. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting because, you know, that's something you can't do right now with that, that AI component. So I do firmly believe there are things that humans want to see from other humans. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to crave that the more that that's taken away from us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to your point, no, the machines are not going to rise up and take over. <laughs> not just yet. <laughs> I mean, we need to be careful. Like this, there is a lot of experimentation, but there needs to be some healthy fear for some of the use cases of this. And that's, that's definitely, um, I think in a lot of people's minds. Totally agree. Totally agree. Ali, as expected, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experience and expertise with the audience. Quick intro to yourself and how folks out there can get in touch with you. Yeah, well, thanks for the invite. For those that didn't catch my name earlier, I'm Ali Schwanke. I'm the founder of SimpleStrat and one of the hosts of HubSpot Hacks over on YouTube. We have a lot of great resources over at simplestrat.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I have tons of stuff there, weekly newsletter. And um, again, if you Google Ali Schwanke, there's only one of me that I know of. So you'll be able to track me down. And I look forward to you know having conversations out, out of the show and hopefully maybe doing this again sometime. Fantastic. Fantastic. So Ali, once again, thanks for your time. Take care, stay safe and talk to you soon. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.